This episode of ArcaSpeak is sponsored by Arcat, and Arcat wants to ask what are most professionals in architecture dreading? Of course, that's editing down a manufacturer specification. You're staring down a 54 page spec, and you only want one product and all of its attributes. There is a better way, and it's not throwing the entire specification into your project documents. It's Arcat.com's Spec Wizard. Spec Wizard is a unique tool that allows you to specify a product in minutes, not hours, by turning a spec into a simple-to-use website. Just select the products and options you want to specify and generate a three-part CSI spec in multiple formats. Best of all, it's free. Free, I tell free, free. you. And it, and it requires no registration. Go to Arcat at ARCAT.com and try a better way of specifying projects. Spec wizard. Spec wizard, I tell you. It's the, it's, it's the bee's knees. Welcome to ArcaSpeak, the podcast that talks about what it's like to work in the profession of architecture. Welcome to episode 138 of the ArcaSpeak podcast. I'm Neil Pan. I'm Evan Troxell. And I'm Cormac Phelan. All right, so Toys R Us is closing down. What are your feelings and your thoughts about this? Sad. Sadness. Hashtag sadness. sadness. Deep and complete sadness. So what are, what are some of your memories of Toys R Us from when you were, when it was in its all its glory? Because it's been in decline for a very long time, <laughs> it seems like. Legal or illegal memories? What? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I think the statute of limitations has probably expired on you, so. Yeah. I'm not saying I yeah. did any No, no, now we have to know what, the, what that... <laughs> you put it out there. Yeah. My happy memories were is when, you know, actually, um, it wasn't... It was, God, was it Toys R Us? No. Um, I'm going to have to text her and ask her. My, my sister used to work in a toy store. And um, and I'm pretty sure it was Toys R Us because I do remember the giraffe. But she, um, this was back that in. That was Jeffrey. Jeffrey. That's right. Yeah. And so she, uh, you know what? Maybe it was the decline of um, Toys R Us is because we don't see Jeffrey often enough. That, that mm. might be. You know, or maybe when he retired. There's a correlation. CEO, yeah. Got to be. We got to find out when Jeffrey stopped making public appearances. You, you tell your story. I'll, uh, I'll find that out. <laughs> um, so she used to work, um, you know, so she's uh, um, a few years older than me, like eight. And um, so when she was working, she would, uh, you know, they give you discounts when you work there and all that other stuff. And so she'd buy me every, and, and this is not a... Um, this is actual legit. I had every single solitary Star Wars toy from the original line, and I just you know had everything. And um, <clears throat> I remember when, <laughs> and so she would like bring everything home, and I would have everything. And I remember I ex I accidentally lost one of the Imperial um, like just the guys in black, mm -hmm. and uh. I um asked her if she could get me one and, and she wouldn't 
or couldn't, and um, I had to take it upon myself to go get one. Oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm getting one no matter what. I, I, I'm I now, getting one. Now. I now understand <sighs> the lead to this question. <laughs> Jeez. So, yeah. So you you asked before we started recording if if you could go back to uh to any store <laughs> it i would go back and buy those toys yeah you know it was it was and funny bring them because, back uh, because they're worth a mint they're worth a so, mint so so for anybody who's you know, like what yeah, yeah. sorry so a, a friend of mine posted on facebook that if you if you could have $2000 in 1980s money and go back in time to 1987 and have three hours to go shop in a 1987's vintage shopping mall with all of its glory of the fantastic um, stores and everything else. B. Dalton what would you buy? No. Yeah, exactly. I would not be going to B. Dalton. <laughs> uh, I loved B. 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 Dalton, though, yeah. because they were the only ones Wal- at the time Walden who were books. selling comic books. Oh, okay, yeah. Walden, book, Walden they Books. They had a good that's, magazine that's rack, actually. that's for sure. They, Yeah, Walden Books. I, you know, would, anyway, um, back to that yeah, other... Sorry issue i'm not going to say anything about like walden books and you know long jackets nothing well jeez um, <laughs> god not me what? i hated jackets moving on but my fr- yeah no but my friend my friend he knows who he is he's and and i would i felt guilty and i'm just like dude you should go back and, anyway so anyway so you have three <laughs> you you have three hours to go shopping and bring back what you bought. What would you buy? And there were some fantastic ones. My mine was jokingly is like I would go to a uh, 1980s Spencer's that has like all the the um, what we thought were the cool um, graphic tees that are now these cool hipster vintage tees. And I would just buy two thousand dollars worth of them and bring them back and sell them for you know a hundred dollars and you know increase my profit. So I'm I'm a business minded fellow. Yeah. Um, but the one in and you just alluded to it the the one that was probably like ah oh, that's the better one <laughs> that's more that's more business minded. It was just stock up on, um, Star Wars toys yep. and you know basically you would have unboxed in brand new pristine condition with no like you know. Um, folds on the sides of the box and all of those other things. And, uh, you know, you'd just be able to do that or maybe go and find like, because it's in Walden's books, um, find those, uh, those like really, um, you know, the comic book that has, uh, you know, has tripled in value or quadrupled or, you know, just, it was a limited run. I mean, I actually just found my, uh, death of Superman, um, and uh, I had two Death of Supermans, one in the the black packet. The you remember that Neil? I still have it. Was it? Is it in the black? Um, the all black? Uh, of course, pa- it is. Plastic wrap. Never been opened. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh! See, so I had I got two of those. I got one to open and one to save. Yeah, and you and about ten is, million other people. Yeah, yeah. It's it. It has no value. It's just a cool keepsake. Yeah. <laughs> You have any uh, so was, Toys R Us memories, Neil? Oh uh, well, here I'm going to give you a little update on uh, Jeffrey. Here, uh, he was finally retired in 2007. That's a long run. Oh, 
He was Started formerly in... known as Dr. G. Raffi from the <laughs> 1950s print advertisements. Dang. Wow. Dr. G. Raffi. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So anyway, um, any uh, Toys R Us. You know, I, I don't think I have any real good Toys R Us memories other than it was the toy store. I mean, right. when you wanted a toy, you didn't go to Sears or Pennies or anything else. You went to Toys R Us. Yep. Uh, so, but, but probably my best memories, unfortunately, because they're most likely the more recent ones, is shopping at Babies R Us. <laughs> no, that's when I knew they were going down, man. Kid, yeah, kids R Us, Babies oh, R Us. Oh, come on. Yeah. Babies R Us was a great place. I mean... That that's the place you walked through, and it was like going through a. We bought all like, of our strollers at. Well, yeah, house. exactly. I think we bought our strollers, the car seats, and a car seat, you know, yeah, all, yeah, all yeah. of the stuff, the equipment, the things that you needed to raise your kids. I mean, that all was of the, the place. stuff that you're just like you're just a tiny little human, and you need all of this crap. Right. Oh, I know. Right, <laughs> you have to become so, a Sherpa to get all that stuff from point A to point B. <laughs> Yes, exactly. So, yeah, the diaper bag. Um, I think we even registered at at some point at Baby's R Us. <laughs> we did. We did too. <laughs> so I would say that's probably my uh, more recent memories of, of of Toys R Us. Well, you know, though, you know, I don't know if you guys had them again out there, but um, talking about the '80s mall, uh, did you guys have KB Toys? Because that was the yeah. in mall yeah, toy store. Totally, that was the that was the store that I would go to in the eighties mall with the two thousand yeah. dollars. Was KB yep. Toys? Apparently, I heard that somebody had said that they were going to come back. Hmm. Um, that somebody's bought the trademark name and all that other stuff, and they were going to try to bring them back. It's kind of like there's a, a documentary on uh, Netflix right now. It's a series oh, like uh, yeah. about the the toys of the eighties. That looks pretty interesting. So. Probably suck you in on. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, like I didn't. You needed oh, something you else to watch. Cormac, you actually didn't today. know about that one? No, I didn't. Oh, I'm Toys surprised. of the eighties. You're usually like telling that. us about shows. Uh, yeah, it's that. I have not watched it yet, but I, I, I haven't either. So I'm like you. I've got a documentary called "Documenting Duke." That's what my documentary is. Right <laughs> Documenting <now>. Duke. <laughs> yeah, good. Well, I'll I'll give my story for Toys R Us because I brought it up, but I. I just remember going there. I was probably in the fifth grade. Actually, I was in the fifth grade because that's when I bought my first computer at Toys R Us. Whoa. And this just shows you Ooh. like what a computer nerd I was and still am. But I Trash started. 80? We no, I bought a Commodore sixty four. No, you can get it. Oh, I was gonna say yeah. That, they, that's what they carried were. the whole Commodore line, and uh, this was before the Commodore one twenty eight, which was a a sleek white beauty. But but mm. but before that, you know, Vic twenties Commodores. 64 uh, oh my god that's what they had at toys r us and i bought the you know the keyboard which was the computer unit um and then i a disk drive and i took those you know the disk drive was the was enormous it was like the size of this flatbed scanner that i have on my desk here and uh took the five and a half inch floppies or five and a quarters whatever they were and uh yeah and uh, I started programming on that thing, man. I started writing a game back then. Well, fifth grade, hooked it up to the TV because it had like a, I know, <laughs> it had <laughs> it had like an RCA jack out to coax in. I mean, that was that was how you hooked it up to your TV back in the day. So you just went like straight through the antenna port 
on the TV. You know how I would have got my uh, computer back then? Would have waited till you walked out of the, <laughs> the toys or yeah, you would have walked. Walk. <laughs> <laughs> what a computer! <laughs> Give me that. Yeah. So that that's like my. Uh, it was. So, it's so funny because it's a toy store, but I bought a computer there because there really weren't that many computer stores. I mean, I had. Obviously, my dad had an Apple IIe at home, and that's what that was a real computer, you know. And I so I went and bought this kid's computer that I learned how to, but it was so cool because it ha, it was color output, and it, we hooked it up to the 13 inch color TV. It was uh, those were the days, man. And I bought a little book to learn how to program, and basically, learning how to program was just copying the code that was printed in the book, right? right. It wasn't like they were actually teaching you how to program, I guess you would learn by doing, but. Still, learn by copying, just like you well, know, you great know, artists do. I just another story about that, though. It's like you're like, for me, it was my parents could just, you know, my dad would just drop me off there, and like, you know, like let <laughs> me just like walk around. <laughs> yeah, it's just like you go walk around uh, Toys R Us, and I gotta go run this errand, you know, and just you'd be there forever because you you weren't gonna go anywhere. You were. Too busy staring at all the... Well, the uh, idea of Toys R Us is amazing, right? Especially for anybody who... Like like their whole... Their theme song, I Don't Want to Grow Up, right? I mean, it was... Right. It was one of those places where you... It was a heaven for kids, right? Because of their amazing amount of toys all in one place. And I even read some little story about how they would encourage their employees to play with the toys and... And that's kind of one of the one of the things that you can see that they've lost over the years in in the effort yeah, to get yeah. more and more efficient and less employees and and making it more about the numbers and less about like just going in and having a good time and being able to play with stuff right off the shelf and I think that um, there was something to that but it it was a it was a place where you could go and just spend a couple hours kind of like it's a, you know it's like I don't know I don't know what the modern day equivalent I guess it is an Apple store or something like that. But it's you. You literally could just as long as you don't ha- don't mind having a blue shirt hovering over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a it's an interesting thing to to see go away because I think it was one of those kind of staple stores of of the the past couple decades or well, the think, past. I think that's kind of what you know has just failed a lot of like stores, box stores, whatever, just you know, brick and mortar stores. Is, you know, when you lose the personal touch, people are like, well, you know, why do I, if if it's just about the business of things, then, you know, why do I need to go well, why do you into exist, that right? store? Like, like you know, why do you exist? I can get it online, yeah. you know. I think what's interesting, I mean, too, is is these corporations need to get so big to become national chains, to become big box. It really does kind of suck the the uniqueness out of it. Right. And so it does become a a numbers thing and a management thing. And, and I think the bigger you get, I mean, I I can only imagine what the small homegrown toy stores, like we've got one in our village. We've got a, yeah, we've got, we've got a great one that, you know, you go in there and, you know, you can find the nice little old wooden toys and, you know, just kind of the things that you would never find in like interesting stuff. Yeah. And stuff. And and what's, what's neat about that, I guess is that they, well, I hope, I mean, it's probably been a huge struggle for them to survive over the years with with Toys R Us's and Targets and, and Walmarts and all these big box and Amazon, right? Because 
they've got so much more selection, but these other ones have character and, and they care about toys and yeah, they're more expensive, but uh, they're local. And so I wonder what it's like, you know, that for the, for the toy store, like in, in the village where I live versus, uh, you know, their mentality now seeing Toys R Us, I wonder what they're thinking about that because it obviously affected them then and it probably affects them now. Um, but they're kind of coming out of this, at least lasting a little bit longer than Toys R Us. We'll see how long they last, but it's it's a uh, it's interesting because of this need to get so big, and then ultimately that is also their demise, right? They have so much space, they have they have so many mouths to feed. It's really difficult right. for them to shift gears, change direction, become something smaller again um, when so much is riding on that. And and I mean, you could even draw a parallel to architecture firms, right? What happens to when you become the machine that is so big that you can't right. change? anymore um, you have because you have so much responsibility to feed all these mouths and and i mean there's lots of firms out there that hire and fire at will depending on the project that comes um i even heard about employees that are just hopping between projects just to curate their resumes over the years i mean it's a very different industry now than it than it was before but uh, we do have some extremely large firms out there that are eating up gobbling up these these smaller or i should say medium firms i guess um yeah yeah, interesting. It's a kind of an interesting thing to think about as far as how this applies to architecture, because there are firms that are as big as Toys R Us, right? And they they could when they go down, they they leave. It's like it's like when the Titanic sinks, it it creates waves, right? It leaves a lot of people in their wake. Well, so here's here's a question that you know my wife and I um, tend to ask each other. Um, and that's when these big box stores go out of business or they like literally move down the block right. and build another right. one. Just leave a now carcass got a behind. Shell. Yeah. yeah. Now they've got a shell. What happens to that? And a lot of times it just stays vacant for such a long time that, you know, you see the parking lot gets all, you know, like chunked up or it's a, you know, oh, hey, the local car dealer is going to, you know, start parking some of their overstock over here. Yeah. You know, and it just, you know, it looks... You know, it's a blight yep. and things like that. Yep. And and so you ask, you know, what responsibility do companies that are going out of business that probably the last thing that they really care about is what happens to their building? Um, you know, what responsibility do they have or, or right. what responsibility does the, the, the town have? I mean, Neil, it'd be interesting. I don't know if you guys, you know, um, on the uh, planning, commission. Uh, planning commission, I mean, what do you guys do when uh, a... Uh, build you know somebody moves out and they just kind of like leave the shell behind i mean is there any kind of recourse for that or or do you just say well, well they're gone bye yeah there's not much you can do from a city aspect well first off uh, things like babies are uh or excuse me babies uh toys are us stores <laughs> it, babies are us too same diff. Uh, yeah i was going to ask actually the same sort of question what happens when these buildings are suddenly vacated not necessarily suddenly but when they are vacated what happens <laughs> eventually it's like to, the rapture eventually becomes a church yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh i'm just wondering do they get replaced by another big box or sometimes right it, sometimes that happens if they sometimes they do stay vacant from a city aspect i would say that's where the halloween stores pop up that's where the Halloween. Yes, actually, that's <laughs> yeah, so geez. true. It's where the Halloween stores uh, pop up. It's where it's, eventually, perhaps, another store um, moves into 
because they either need more space or uh, what has also happened is sometimes those larger spaces get broken up into smaller spaces. And so you get multiple stores inside these larger buildings. Uh, I've seen that happen. And in other cases, after many years of probably sitting there, what we're seeing, at least locally here in my town, is that those spaces are getting, uh, those buildings are being torn down and rezoned into residential. Yeah. So that that stuff is going away and we're building more internal because at least in our town, we have an urban growth boundary. And mm. so we've we've collectively as the citizenship decided we're not going to continue to grow into our hills and our space, open spaces around our town. And what that basically has meant is that as we continue to grow, because the city's always growing at some sort, some rate, sometimes faster than others, depending on the economy and, and uh, the, the market. But it just means we're going to grow more internally, which means we get denser, which is a very difficult situation when it comes to how the people in the town deal with, okay, I've grown up in this town. It's been a, a quote unquote smaller town with single family detached and we've kind of slowly grown out over time and then we've decided okay well, that's far enough now we have to intent you know densify to keep growing and that creates a lot of friction between the people that are already here and the people that we need to house mm-hmm. so it grows into a bigger problem but getting back to our buildings what do we do uh we're seeing more of those buildings transform or change be torn down and turned into residential yeah interesting so the cities to answer your question cormac what the city can do is see how those spaces those either um, areas of town rezoning and yeah basically you rezone it into another function right that that serves the needs of the community at one point we needed a big box store and that served the needs of the community <laughs> for decades. <laughs> I was going to say, do we ever really need Well, I, I, people want, you know, no, the stores yeah. no, want to come right. in. You want, you and, want, and they're you revenue generators. Exactly. That's right. What, there's the answer right there. Yeah. Revenue the, the, generators. They're revenue generators. And, and you know, instead of people having to drive 30 miles to get to that Toys R Us, they can have one in their own backyard, and and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. Uh, yeah, we but, were just talking about that the other day. We're driving around. It's like, how come everywhere yeah. you go, you see the exact same thing? And why is that a good thing? Why is that the exactly. the mo of these corporations? Well, maybe well, that's know. changing now, right? The economies, the the online Amazon type of thing that's changing the fabric of our communities, right? Because now these big box stores don't or. These businesses don't have to grow to a point to be a national chain. And so it's 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 going to change the fabric of our neighborhoods because those things are going to go away. I think that, answer, you know, getting back to what you asked, Cormac, what do cities do? We adapt and we change. We change our zoning. We build different things. And that's how we that's how we adapt and, and respond to these large stores closing. Well, you know, we were... Um, uh... You know, I do that ACE mentoring program, and we've started to do one uh, for the new year. And we were talking with the kids, and you know, they were talking about how 
big boxes, you know, are kind of coming in and just changing the shape and of like downtown centers and things like that. And we were using kind of like the um, Towson, Maryland as an example, because that's where this particular project for this year's um, mentoring session is taking place. And, and so they were, uh, you know, looking at like, you know, if you drive down this road, there's a bunch of big boxes in this little small downtown that used to, that's now just grown up as big box chains and faces and stuff. And, and I was just like, well, you know, I mean, they're like, well, so everything's kind of looking the same. And in, in, as you guys just said, it was, we were kind of like homogenizing everything and making it look all the same. So, you know, you're in one city or the other. And I was like, well, you know, you could do that or cities could take control and kind of mandate what things are. If you want to, you know, come into our city, you've got to conform to our design standards or, you know, an aesthetic or something like that. And I started to pull up mm. as like for the longest, as like for the longest time, um, uh, Walmart wanted to move into DC. DC said, you know, DC said no, because, you know, one, we don't have stores that are like big box type stores like that in ours. And, you know, it's just the scale and everything else. And they said, if you ever want to, you know, come into it, you're going to need to change the way you do business to accommodate what, you know, our zoning laws and stuff. And so the three Walmarts that are in DC don't look like Walmarts. Um, the signage isn't like this big garish sign or anything like that. They're brick facades. They're smaller. They're actually, they're, they're stacked up rather than, you know, these big monster footprints. They, they had to conform to the, um, the zoning laws and design standards and all of these other things that of these, you know, downtowns and, and they feel a lot more, I mean, they feel more integrated into the community and, you know, I, I pulled up one in particular and, and I purposely Google, you know, earthed it and put the little dude just away from the sign. And I, um, showed them this building and I'm like, well, what's that building right there? And they're like, I don't know. It's kind of cool. You know, it's, and I, you know, spun them around and I looked at all of the other buildings around and how it conformed to like the, the heights of all of the adjacent buildings. And, you know, it was, it was paying attention to its context. <clears throat> and then I zoomed into the sign and they're like, that's a Walmart. I'm like, exactly. That's what they can do. So, I mean, even if you are going to encourage uh, retail in there and it is something like a big box, I mean, you can encourage them to do something else. Um, or just say, no, don't come. You're not allowed to be here. Yeah, absolutely. In, in my town, Walmart already had a store and for, unfortunately it was built out in some larger open space area by the mm -hmm. freeway. So of course it's a typical concrete tilt up big giant box, exactly the opposite of what you were just describing Cormac. But at one point they wanted to build one of their super stores. So they bought a piece of property and decided, okay, that's where we're going to put our big superstore, and we're going to close down this other one. And in our city, what, what the response was is that, again, the only control the city really has because they it is is in zoning, and so they created a, a, a zoning ordinance that basically says you can only be so big. And 
that limited what Walmart could do. They couldn't build their superstore. And I'm probably glossing over all the details and getting things slightly wrong here. But essentially, they just said, yeah, you can't have that large of a store in in our town. Or And so that basically prevented them from building it. Uh, another example is where I went to school at, in San Luis Obispo. They actually have an ordinance that forbids drive throughs so yeah, we don't, we don't have drive throughs. There's no drive throughs. Uh, mm-hmm. Any any sort of store like or you know, re, or, uh, not retail restaurant to, sort of uh, fast food places. There's no drive throughs in San Luis Obispo. Uh, if there are any, yeah. they're, they, they're from before that 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 happened. So but in order to encourage walking, reduce encourage traffic, walking, like, people getting stuff. out of their cars. You know the the, yeah. the pass through sort of. Um, activity that that promotes right um they they, they don't wanted, want it to become the place where people just stop on the side of the freeway you know on yeah. the, when they're driving up the 101 and, and just keep on going through they want to encourage that's them to right. get out of their car that's right smell the fresh air stay a while yeah it's like a i don't know how well that works like, but yeah. and, and honestly that's what you want <laughs> yeah well and, and that's i mean those are the things that we can do as a, as a society or communities to to prevent things like that from happening. If we don't want to see those things in our town, that's the way we can control these things. Yeah. So. Well, this, this kind of leads into, I guess, in a, down a tangent, but the, the whole idea of creativity with, there's a mentality to perform fast or similarly to last time, right? Which is, I get this is it's leading me to think about this because of the big box thing, right? We've got this thing where because of a brand or because of um, expediency, right? Because we've already got all the details. All we have to do is slightly adapt it to this new town. Here's the same thing, plop, plop, plop. And it just marches down the, the super highway that runs across the entire nation. You've got a bunch of Walmarts that all look the same. And, and so there's benefits for Walmart and there's also benefits for the customer, but there as a society, it's very difficult for me to think of this as a benefit, right? Because there is no creativity. There is no, it's like that there's one answer. Here's the answer. And I'm going to do it as many times as possible. Uh, and, and to me as a designer specifically, or as an architect, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that just pains me to no end. Like I went into a Lowe's the other day, which is like a home improvement, improvement store, like a home depot. And mm-hmm. holy crap, you can't find anything because it's so big. And and yeah, I'm sure it's the same as every other Lowe's out there. Um, but it, it's just one of those things where, you know, the lighting is bad. The people are not helpful if you can find them. Um, and so like in the name of just making it like this, this template, this cookie cutter thing where, you know, once you know a Lowe's, you know every Lowe's, like there is some benefit to that. But at the same time, it's just this enormous thing that that occupies an enormous site with a ton, like four times the amount of surface area for parking as the store right. and and these are the kinds of kinds of things that it's like this is encouraged right the city wants this because it's a revenue generator people want it because they understand it like i i know that if i go to an in and out i'm going to get the same thing i know that if i go to a mcdonald's i'm going to get the same thing no matter which mcdonald's i go to but as a designer, this this leads me to the type of project that I recently worked on where it's like, okay, you've got five minutes, come up with a good idea. And and 
So we call those charrettes. There was our idea, and now we're going to reuse that idea over and over and over again. And so it, it, I, I found this graphic, and I'll, I'm going to throw it into the the chat here real quick so you guys can see it. Um, and we'll we'll post it in our show notes. But it's um, it's a a poster by Austin Cleon, who's a, an artist and an author. He mm-hmm. wrote a book called uh, Steal Like an Artist, which was fantastic. You, you can yeah. read it in an hour, and it's uh, it's just got a lot of like fist raising hell yeah kind of stuff in it and uh (laughs) here's what his graphic his poster says it's it's just a text poster that he wrote says i want artists to say all the right things i want artists to stick to a script i want artists to run every statement through a pr department i want artists to think the same things that i do i want artists to be on brand i want artists to be totally predictable i want artists to never disappoint me i want artists to play it safe i want me and my artists to be best friends forever I want artists to do and be all of these things, and then I want to be allowed to complain how boring art is. And to me, that is exactly what, like the catch-22 that we are in so many times as architects and just like thinking about the cities around us and the places and the spaces that we frequent and occupy. I mean, this is the tract home mentality, right? Like, I want a custom home. Because, you know, I want the faux brick on the outside. Or I want the third car garage instead of that office. That's custom, right? <laughs> but I want yeah. I want to elevate the level of design, but I want you to be totally predictable. I want this to all fit into my spreadsheet, right? I want you to design this in, I don't know, 20 hours. There you go. Be creative. And and to me, design is a struggle. And if and if it's not, if you're not learning anything, you're probably not getting any better. And so, the mentality to put a clock onto things, um, if if it's really, it just seems like it, you know, if it really is run by the bean counters, how do you balance that with the time and environment to be creative? And and as as consumers, are we are people even asking for that? Do they care? I mean, this so, so this is kind of the 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 crux of my what I'm thinking about. I mean, it is difficult to be creative. So how do we create the space and how do we create the environment to allow us to do that? Because it really does seem like this is an epic battle. It's a deep one. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's this. We've talked about the drive-through process. You know, the creative. Right. <laughs> the cr- drive-through architecture, right? You, people don't want to pay for it. Drive-through design. Um they they want to they want to go straight to window number 2 and just pick up the food. Um and and so yeah, we have to be efficient, but like is that our highest priority? Is it uh it, it's it's interesting because there was there was a project that I recently worked on where it was like, okay, we have this much time for design. Okay, well, yeah. what's design? <laughs> Tell me what design is. Okay, so so do I get that much time to design and then I get more time to document and I get more time to, I don't know, draw diagrams and hmm. like draw the actual floor plans or or is that all-encompassing big podcasting air quotes design, right? Because cause honestly, you know, if if that's boring, right? That's one of those things where it's like mm-hmm. when, when you are under that much... it's a dichotomy it's boring and it's stressful right because when you're under that kind of stress you're not in the right mindset to be creative no no because you're 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 designing by the clock as you just said and you know you're just like oh god it is 
nine o'clock, punch in, you know, design, 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 five o'clock, punch out. You know, it's like that. That's not how it works. Yeah. I, there, it reminds me there's a, there was this documentary that I was watching with, with one of my kids uh, and it, it had Phil Tippett and Phil Tippett is a famous movie prop master uh, animator. He, he animated puppets. I mean, he's a, an amazing creative force. He, he was the guy who did all of the puppetry in Star Wars, uh, Jurassic Park, you know, when it was all stop motion, um, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And he had a quote in there that I, I was drawn to. It said, passion has little to do with euphoria and everything to do with patience. It's not about feeling good. It's about endurance. Like patience, passion comes from the same Latin root, pati. It does not mean to flow with exuberance, right? Everybody thinks passion means, <laughs> like I said, oh, the, you're, you're on all the, the fist time. pumping, yeah, hell yeah, kind of thing. And, and yeah, no, it means to suffer. That's what pati yeah. means. And it's the creative process. And and I, it's interesting because I think we've also talked about the John Cleese talk on creativity. He has a, a amazing yeah. YouTube video. We'll put the link to that one in the show notes too. It's about 30 minutes long. And it talks about, having creative time and it talks about you know having these two times that you flip back and forth between but i think for the most part people who make up these numbers and these spreadsheets have no clue that you actually need that uh that time when nobody's bugging you when you have to go deep you know anyway i think passion does i think mean suffering <laughs> it does uh, yeah or Having struggle that. struggle is a word that i i use for that I would say, I don't know if I have an answer to that, but I think one response I would say, do people care? I think there's people like us in this industry, in our architectural industry, that Mm -hmm. that certainly care. But I think in general, the general populace of people, they don't care. They might care a little bit, but it's not their top priority. You know, they, they worry about, you know, who's winning the basketball game tonight or, or other, I, you know, their kids or Michigan or <laughs> let's not get into that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. So well, that, what's funny about that is like, yeah, you're talking about, um, things that are, that have no bearing on you or your life at all. Right. When you're talking about like, when, when you talk about the things people care about, but when they don't care about is like the crazy amount of mediocrity that they are in and around right. every single day of their life that really affects their life. Yeah, but I, I'm not sure people really notice that. I mean, when it comes to the place they live, they they want a place that is home. It's comfortable. It, it meets their needs. It's got enough bedrooms for everybody. It's got enough bathrooms. It has a kitchen that is efficient or functional. And if that meets their needs, sure, would everybody like nicer fixtures or would everybody like uh, more or larger space or, uh, you know, a nicer house? Sure, probably, but maybe that's not their biggest priority. They don't really care or they, they drive a Chevy or they drive a Ford and it's just transportation. They don't care. The people that care drive the Tesla or <laughs> drive that the hate Camaro. Mail to, to Neil What's that? at... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you, I'll give you his address. Hey, I'll, it'll be all of our addresses see are available. Yeah. But uh, I, I just, I, I'm not so sure people really. Well, so you say care people, about but that but stuff. people is is a general term, right? And so I, what I guess my 
my charge to all of our, our listeners here is to think that I think there's a lot more room at the top than we give ourselves, than we give credit to. I think that there are people out there, a lot of people, where design wins with. And I think that, um, I think we need to shoot higher. I think we need to make something for those people. And and less so much that large band in the middle that you're talking about. Because I, I really do feel like people have curiosity, they have passion, they have taste. And I don't think that the thing that works for the majority of people out there needs to work for such a majority. Like, like there's so much of that stuff. There's such a large surplus of that stuff. I would contend that, that even that, that middle band that we're talking about here um, is going, they care about design too. They just may not know it. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I come from that middle band or that lower band that, you know, normally just need to fulfill the needs of like, I need a grocery store. I need this. I need that. And, but I spawned out of, you know, a desire to actually want that kind of like middle kind of, um, mediocrity to be better. And, and so I think people want to have better. They just may not know they do, or, you know, all they've been offered up is, you know, mediocrity. And so they've accepted it and they say, okay, well, this fits my need. This is what I want to do mm -hmm. because I've got other things to do, you know, with my time. So I don't really care what my store looks like or things like that. But then if you look at when they go on vacations or things like that and, and they seek out those like cool little places like, you know, Hey, let's take a, a walk down, um, uh, down in, uh, Evans village. And, um, that's and, what they call you know, it. Downtown. Yeah. yeah well, downtown. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, Claremont's a cute little town, you know, I, it's, I mean, I was just flipping through pictures of the, um, St. Patrick's day parade, um, in downtown, uh, or, you know, like in the center of Annapolis, Maryland. And, and to me, I love that place. I love its uniqueness. I love the character of it and things like that. And it is a postcard type town. Yeah. And, you know, it's not like just the same vanilla stuff over and over again. And that's what people seek out when they want to go and just like, oh, it's, it's that. more oh, authentic. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they may not know that they want it, but they, when they realize they want it, you know, they're like, oh, let, let's go find it. Let's go to it. Let's, let's make that drive, you know, 30 minutes to go and hang out in Evans village. Yeah. Yeah. Well, have you, have you, which is what they call yeah. it again, that's what the big sign says. I, I wonder if, <laughs> have you guys, do you have any examples that you could think of that where you really struggled with trying to solve something architecturally that all of a sudden it, it just worked because you worked on it so hard, like you didn't give up because I think a lot of times the first answer is not the right answer, Right. And or yeah. or maybe you have to conform to some code that you weren't thinking of when you originally laid something out, and then all of a sudden it became a, a major issue that you had to solve, and it seems unsolvable. I mean, have you had examples where you've pushed through, and and all of a sudden it's like magic, right? Boom! There's the solution, and and that's a pretty amazing feeling. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the a big challenge was what we were we we're nicknaming the jewel box in my current project. Mm 
you know, it's this big common space um, that's also, you know, the entry and a couple of the larger spaces empty out into this big space. But we wanted it to feel, you know, <laughs> the term has been, you know, like thrown out more Duke-like. But, you know, it was just this space that, you know, had to have some kind of like reverence back to the tradition of collegiate gothic but you know in a more modern sense and you know and that's a really hard thing to do because when you're talking about collegiate gothic you're thinking about tradition you know you're not thinking about the modern take on what that means and and so you know everybody had an idea of what that meant you know and trying to like mitigate everybody's expectations and also come up with a design solution was enormously tough and we've gone through we went through god it feels like months of iterations of it and you know i feel like you know hopefully fingers crossed and knocking on all sorts of wood that it it really turns out the way that we feel like it's going to turn out because you know we've done the renderings you know with like the nice morning sun coming in you know through the trees into the you know, this uh, kind of like trellised effect of the sunshades and all this other stuff and kind of creating this mood within this space. And 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 we really feel like it's going to be like a really special space. Fingers crossed, hoping, you know, because we see right. it in our head. Um, and it's we, you intangible know, we've worked through, some, at some level, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's I mean, it's, it's something that we struggled over for quite some time to try to get it. I mean, you know, and then, of course, everybody's got an opinion about it. It's like, well, you know do the, you know, do these columns, you know, that are supposed to be representational of, you know, both the, the user group that's in there, but also, you know, kind of hearkening back to, again, the tradition of collegiate Gothic, do they look too cold because they're now a more, you know, they're, they're exposed steel rather than, you know, these big heavy stone, you know, arches and things like mm -hmm. that. I mean, you know, it, and, and so, you know, you, you know, everybody has all these ideas and questions and thoughts and, and stuff about it and you know so yeah it was a it was a crazy struggle to to try to get that and i'll i'll tell you in um about 18 months whether or not yeah you'll see <laughs> <laughs> it's a big experiment petri yeah. dish yeah but yeah I, I i i mean there's there are those those little moments so right I, that you just like struggle i think with. it's important for other people in your office to see those moments happen and I think it's really important to say it out loud. Like, this is hard. Yeah. <laughs> this is a hard problem. Yeah. Because especially for for younger people who are being mentored, I mean, they, they're feeling that all the time. And I think it's really important for them to see somebody, you know, in a senior position say, this is a tough problem and I'm struggling with this. Because then they feel like, okay, what I feel is real. Like I, there's so many times when I'm just told to do something and they don't, nobody understands how, how much you're actually asking for. Um, so I think that like, that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is how good it feels and kind of to celebrate when that actually happens. Because you've got, I mean, I've got examples of laying out interior spaces where there is, you know, 25 different rooms that need to fit into this box. And I think, holy crap, you know, this is a, this is circulation issue. This is ADA issue. This is adjacency issues. This is daylighting issues. This is heating and cooling issues. There's so many things that are pushing and pulling and prodding at this box. And, and when you figure it out and you've got a pile of trace next to you, 
that you've gone through to get to that point, (laughs) that is, that's a cool thing, right? And then scan all those things in and throw them into layers in Photoshop and just start clicking eyeballs on the layers and watch that thing evolve is a really cool thing to see at the end. And, and it's, there's, there's just a lot of good feelings I think that come from that once you've actually solved something like that. I mean, there was, there was a performing arts theater that I was designing and when it was so tight, like the, the, the walls could not move anymore. Um, the row spacing could not get any tighter. It was as tight as it could get because of code, right? Like this, this is as close as they can get, <laughs> which is not what you really want in a theater, but it was, it, right, it was right. the point to which it had gotten. We have to have this many seats in the theater. We have to have it like this. There's not going to be uh, continental seating. It's, it's, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to do these aisles. We're going to do it like this. And it's like, you get to a point where, holy crap, where is the, you know, we've got a, we've got a control room at the back. It's elevated. Where is that ADA lift going to go? And, and you struggle through that. You, you could spend five hours trying to solve that problem, right? You could spend as much time solving that problem as you get to design another building for some other proposal. And, and when you, emerge from the other side successful it's like i kicked ass today it's an amazing feeling that most people just don't understand um and and it is a custom solution it is something that no one will ever notice when they actually go visit that building but it's one of those things that you go through that makes you feel like an architect and it's uh it's it's a neat thing i think to experience and I, i just hope that you know we can we can all experience little wins like that every once in a while it's it's a cool thing for sure. It's it's one of those reasons yeah. of why why I like to do what I do. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't have said it better. Yeah, it's good, good stuff. I, I I you know just bring it back to the whole design as a struggle thing. I I would like to know what our listeners have struggled with. What are the little stories that you know if you can type it up or tweet us or post it on our Facebook page or post it to your blog and just send us the link so that we can read about it. I think those are the kinds of things that our community understands and helps us get stronger as a community because we do all, we are all in this together. I mean, whether you feel like that or not, I mean, this is our, this is a profession. It's bigger than you. And it would be cool to hear those stories about how you've struggled through stuff because, you know, commiserating is fun, but also it makes us stronger. Like we can all teach each other something. And if you could, show us kind of a little bit of insight into what you've struggled with. I mean, I think that that could, that could be, definitely benefit other people. A little bit of homework, huh? Yeah, a little homework. Why not? All right. That's it. Everybody, you got some homework. Tweet us. <laughs> Do it. Do it. And I, and I got a big spider walking across my keyboard. <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you podcast in the basement, man. Exactly. <laughs> it's their home. <laughs> Sitting here watching it, kind of like, like, um, yeah, don't freak out. You don't stay freak over out. there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let, let, let's what wrap this up so Cormac doesn't uh, get a spider bite here. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, hey, I just want to remind everyone this episode is brought to you by Our Cat, and the music is by System Kid. Make sure you check them out on iTunes. You can subscribe to Arca Speak on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast app you use. 
Be sure to check out the archive at arcaspeakpodcast.com, where you can stream or download every episode we've ever released and find links to articles referenced. We can be found on Twitter, Facebook, or via email at arcaspeakpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and stay subscribed. See ya. Bye. Tell me every little thing's gonna be